On today's episode of the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast, I'm joined by Natasha Jen, Senior Partner at Pentagram. Natasha's practice has been notable for crossing media genres, drawing on references from a diverse range of cultural, historical, aesthetic and technological sources. Her work encompasses brand identities, environmental design, multi-scale exhibitions, signage systems, print, motion and interactive graphics, all created in collaboration with global tech brands including Google, Waze, Galaxy Digital, Nidig, Lightmatter and Magic Leap. Natasha, thank you so much for joining us on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. It's great to see you. Thank you, Sean, for having me. It's great to see you too. Nobody else can see us just by the way. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. It's well, welcome to the COVID world. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I wanted to start just by really asking you about yourself and what you do at Pentagram or and elsewhere, in fact. Well, well, okay, great, great question. Um, I, I think that after uh, practicing design uh, or graphic design, uh, I still have a hard time explaining what I do. You know, like typically when you ask people what's your job, it's a pretty straightforward answer. You know, even for a lot of designers, such as architects or you know, fashion designer, but. Um, for me, uh, I would say that I'm graphic designer, but I think that graphic design nowadays has become this sort of, I think, more antiquated term. You know that 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 talks about uh, designing for words and images. You know, if I have to essentialize uh, what I do to the to to the fundamentals, I would say I design with language and images. And that's, I mean, that's quite a powerful thing to do, isn't it? It's a it's it, it's a yes it's a powerful thing to do but yet yet at the same time it's it feels very everyday because graphic design is this sort of skin that that is just omnipresent it wraps around it wraps on everything right that we see and experience in the world so there there's something that also feels sort of really mundane about it, yet at the same time, its mundane quality is also what makes it kind of profound and very interesting. But then I suppose you just think of that graphic design. It doesn't actually say anything anymore because I know that when I did my first degree, it was graphic design. Graphic design oh, you, is nothing. You, you study <laughs> graphic design too. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So that was my very first um, foray into um, higher education, but graphic design doesn't mean the same thing anymore. It really does not mean the same thing. I think fundamentally, you know, um, the, the 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 issues that we confront today um, are actually not that different from the issue that we confronted, you know, uh, decades ago. Ultimately, it's about semiotics. Right, that 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 doesn't change, right? That that that's human, but um, the 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 media landscape has shifted, you know, uh, so profoundly, so much, you know, by digital technology, um, and the way that we consume everything, you know, from information to material culture to um, even, you know, relationships uh, have also changed um, so much, and that I think has also changed how we practice design and what we do in a kind of very, very deep way. So what's the most exciting thing then about your job? 
What excites you? Well, good question. I think that what's most exciting about uh, about our profession is also what makes it incredibly challenging, which is you never know what's gonna walk into the door, or you know, I can put it in a different way: you never know what what universe or what world you are going to enter. Because graphic design itself is not a subject matter, right, onto its own, but it works with everything in the world. So you know the 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 the, the surprises and the newness and the opportunities for learning that come with these very different um, sectors and you know clients are. Are super exciting and also, you know, um, motivating. But yet, at the same time, for each project, it's almost like you have to put yourself back into the role of a student while trying to solve a problem meaningfully, right? Um, for 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 your clients. So that sort of dual role, you know, being a student sort of puts you. In in a kind of I think very humble, if not vulnerable position, it's it's a vulnerable position to be because you are not the subject you know subject matter expert. Yet at the same time, you are an expert in something else. So you kind of play this dual role as a graphic designer, and that is a kind of tension that you know we.、Um, We struggle with, yeah, on a daily basis. L- let me zoom out a little bit. I graduated from、uh, undergrad in two thousand two, so precisely twenty years ago, and that was the time I entered the profession of graphic design. So there's a profession, but there's also the school of graphic design. At that time,、um, the profession and the Academic teaching were not as sort of separated as what I see today. Okay, so that that's one big、uh, phenomenon that I'm experiencing. You know, I I teach as well. I teach、um, two undergrad courses.、Um, so education itself in the graphic design education, I think, has been. Impacted, you know, by the、um, by the cultural and technological change. But in terms of what we do,、um, we deal with rectangles. You know, I, I have this rectangle metaphor. That is, a rectangle is a space that has four points, that has four edges, and essentially, what what we do, our canvases are these different rectangles. So the rectangles that we work with have also shifted from physical, if not large rectangles, from billboards to you know posters back in the day,、um, album covers, book jackets, to you know CD covers, right?、Uh, packaging. Those are still rectangles back in the day, you know, ranging in sizes and physicalities and scale. To now, the smartphone itself—that 
is a rectangle, but within this small portable rectangle, there are infinite and smaller rectangles, and these rectangles are getting smaller and smaller, yet deeper and deeper because they're just all virtual clicks that can actually bring you somewhere else within this rectangle. So. This 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 incredible shift, right? It's it's just sort of like a journey along rectangles. So that really have changed how we work and ultimately what we create and what we produce too. Just to give you an example, we used to say, you know, when we were designing um, an identity, you know, and at that time, I think you know, twenty years ago or even fifteen years ago. Um, branding really wasn't branding. Branding was largely considered as identity design projects. You know,、um, if the clients are, you know, bigger、uh, clients, there's this term called corporate identity systems. Okay, CIS, right? So、uh, we 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 went from that, you know, designing say.、Uh, Billboards, you know, to to sort of demonstrate、um, the design system, to、uh, stationery, for example. I remember the time we were designing business cards, okay, as a really critical、um, critical touch point, you know, to demonstrate design. To now designing Instagram posts, which are they're squares, you know, but they're still kind of rectangles, right? So you see that we're no longer designing business cards because nobody uses business cards anymore, you know, or most people don't use business cards nowadays.、Uh, so you see that the 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 the, the these different constructs have changed so much, but then you realize that well, ultimately the issues that we deal with, which is essentially the issues around words. And visual images that have not changed. How then have you had to change the way you communicate? I mean, you know, communication has two parts, right? One is the lexicon and the language, you know, the spoken and written language that we actual that we actually use for communication. And there's the how, how to communicate, right? I think that these two aspects also have changed really profoundly. First of all. The language around, say, branding, yeah, is actually relatively new in the whole history of graphic design. And there's brand strategy, for example, that itself is is a is a again comparatively new discipline, but it has become a necessary part, okay,、um, to 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 any identity design. So there's a whole world of language. In brand strategy and brand positioning, and you know, under that big category, there there are other you know sub categories. I don't want to get into like the weeds of of brand strategy, but that itself is relatively new. But it has become this sort of stable in the branding you know、um, process, right? So that 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 has changed, and how you actually talk about it, you know, how you how you actually frame it. You know, is something that I find、um, 
interesting and also it's also problematic in some way. And then how we communicate. So before COVID, we were already doing you know、uh, video video based presentations, but it wasn't as relentless as the way it is right now. And、um, the, the 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 most difficult thing about virtual video based communication is that you never really get a true sense about an individual or a group of individuals who you're communicating to because you never have real eye contact. That has become a really big challenge and problem for me because. I can never kind of really sense, you know, intuitively kind of sense how the person is feeling about the work in front of them, and that I think just adds, you know,、um, adds a level of difficulty, yeah, in how we communicate. Thinking then, just thinking about luxury, I was just wondering how you think we communicate to an audience who buys into that world of luxury has changed. Well, here's the thing about luxury. You know, when when we hear the word luxury, typically we think about luxury in a in a material sense, right? That is, you know,、uh, highly crafted goods that stimulate our five senses, right? But If you think about luxury in a immaterial sense, that I think is a lot more interesting now. And I'm gonna go back to the material part, okay? Because you know that that that's really sort of the subject matter that we work with, and that's what pushes, you know, the economy. You know, that also creates a lot of environmental sustainability sustainability issues as well, right? So that's the material part, but. I want to talk about the immaterial part a little bit because that's really one of the the, the sort of most、um, important things that I became more aware of is the, the 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 luxury that actually comes from just a sense of joy, and that joy can be as mundane. As spending quality time with your families and friends, okay, or even your pets, for example, right? Kissing your pets, feeling right, feeling the 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 the, the little fur, you know, feel, smelling, you know, your puppy. That to me, I think in in the world that we're in right now, we're still in COVID, right? We're still not kind of exploring the world、um, the way that. That we used to. I think that all these sort of immaterial, luxurious moments that are not immaterial are more interesting for me to contemplate on. But now I'm gonna get to the material part of things. That is okay. There's still the world of luxury, right? And that world ha- has not gone away or changed、um, by by the pandemic. However, it The way that people access luxury is so incredibly open right now because of the digital social channels. That I think it's it, it's a, it's a matter of first of all your interest, and then 
your, you know, um, economy, sort of, you know, social economy levels, right? And that itself, I think, is also a really big issue right now for us to to think about. You know, I've read some quotes of yours, and you talk about um, visual elegance and human intuition, um, and I find those. That terminology is quite interesting, especially when you come to describe luxury. This idea of visual elegance, not necessarily within the context in which you described it, but would apply to luxury goods, and the same with human intuition. You know, luxury should be much more intuitive. However, the messages that we are confronted with from, you know, luxury brands, for example, are not really about visual elegance, nor are they about human intuition. Yeah, you know, I think that um, the 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 definition of luxury or how luxury is commoditized um, nowadays, I think, somehow really detached from the actual luxury, which is in my in my mind essentially about craft. It's about dedication to the subject matter, you know, to the object in front of you, right? And that itself is not a thing that can be easily scaled because it comes from the human craft, craftsmanship. And of, of course, craftsmanship now can be replaced by robotics, by technology, right? But it's really the desire to scale something, right, to as many people as possible, that I think really contradicts with the very notion of luxury, because luxury itself, right, is is not mass produced, right? But it is it doesn't necessarily mean that it is designed with a kind of ex exclusivity in mind. It's just the nature of craft, is that you know you have twenty four hours, yeah. All you can do is this much work in order to actually achieve a certain quality, right? So, you know, I, I see these two forces kind of working against um, each other now. And I, I find that, you know, um, interesting. But also, you know, it's problematic in some way too. You have that um, within you, you, the world of your work there's potentially a conflict because you're describing something that doesn't necessarily, well, not you, but one is mm -hmm, describing mm -hmm. something that doesn't necessarily fit with that ethos. The working is at odds with the reality. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, um, we, we, we live in this quandary, you know, I, 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 as a designer, we live in this quandary, but also just as a citizen of the world, we also live in this quandary, you know. I think I've come to terms with that, um, that there, there, there isn't a single truth to this, right? Like you said, our ethos are being, you know, challenged on a daily basis, right? But you still need to move on, you need to live on, right? So how do you kind of find peace with this quandary? is something that I'm still trying to find an answer for. Yeah, I have different levels of struggles on a daily basis, yeah. Not only professionally, but also personally with the way, with the way that I consume, for example. You know, like I, 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 I noticed that, um, 
you know, since the lockdown, I noticed that I started uh, purchasing things online just through my phone a lot more, right? So there's the whole kind of shipping thing involved, right? But also, I started to order food delivery a lot more, and the waste that comes with that really keeps keeps me up at night. That's a you know that's a global problem, isn't it? You know, that's or, a global problem. Yeah. That's a contemporary part problem. Yes. If you then think, you know, about the world in which we live, you know, having food delivered is is it's a luxury, but the byproduct of that luxurious existence yeah. is, as you say, it's um, environmental damage. It's in it's in it's in, in environmental damage, and then you know that um, you know I, I, we're all trying to do things to kind of you know reduce uh, environmental impact, but you know the the. The, the 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 understanding of sustainability i think as a whole right now especially here in america you know is still so backwards that you know the the the, the education really needs to be reexamined for example you know not all plastics are recyclable right i think most of us know that but when you actually look at a plastic container, which has a little, you know, recycle sign, you know, that triangle made up with three arrows, right? And then within within the three arrows, there are numbers, right? Like there's one, two, one, seven, two, three. Yeah. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, I didn't know that there's seven. I didn't know that the seven numbers actually mean very different things. So, so out of the seven, only one and two and two are are recyclable, right? And then three and four are rarely accepted. But then five is moderately accepted. But then six and seven, they're also rarely accepted. So just think of, think about this. This is graphic design. This is you know a combination of language and symbols and the meaning of symbols altogether this by itself is problematic to begin with mm. right yeah but and that goes back to this um I idea i guess of you know how we communicate to an audience and your job as a communicator because it, it's it's so challenging to communicate effectively the the true values of a product and or of a service. Um, and I just want to pick up on something that you also said was that if our work as graphic designers is, is, is essentially to facilitate our clients' needs, what makes it our work? Ours, my right. work. Yeah, yeah. what, what makes, makes it my ours? More work, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I yeah. was thinking about that because it's with any, in any, in any field, that's again problematic because if you are creating a campaign for a luxury brand where's the ownership well you know yeah i mean it's it's it, it's very it, you know it, it it's a very com it's a very complex you know issue right because there isn't a clear answer to it right and you really think about like your contribution our our contribution as designers in something that we know 
can be problematic to begin with, and the levels of, pro- of problems actually range, right? Some are really problematic, you know, that we already know. Then I think that if you already know that, then that's probably the time to to stay away from that. But I think that I tend to think about this through a more positive lens. That is, what can we actually do to bring betterness into a condition that is problematic to begin with, and really. All the situations that we're in right now are problematic. There isn't like a pure, you know, happy world out there. Yeah, but how can we bring betterness to it? And how can we be more critical? Ask questions. Trying to really, trying to really push the work for betterness. You know, be practical, measurable betterness, such as environmental impact. Right, be really critical about the materials that we choose in relationship to the budget. It's something that we that 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 we deal with all the time. And sometimes you realize that, oh, you know, I can only push it this far. Yeah, but we tried, right? So always try to do that. But I think that there's also value in a lot of these sort of immeasurable things that. Is beauty that is joy that is craft visual craft that is you know、um, intentional design right that is hard to actually measure so we try to actually bring in betterment from both sides. Corporations don't like criticism. You know they don't like criticism on any level. Typically, I think yeah, I think. People generally don't like criticism. <laughs> be, <laughs> yeah, be, that's a good point. Be 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 small or big, you know. But、um, we try to we try to establish a relationship upfront or during the very early process of an engagement. We want to make that relationship a trustworthy, open, and direct relationship. I think that. Establishing that relationship is really crucial because once you have that relationship in place, it allows for real conversations. But when that relationship does not exist, meaning when it's a very pure transactional client versus design service provider relationship. We have no place in that conversation.、Mm. You see what、mm. I mean?、Mm-hmm. Yes, it it comes down to the kind of human relationship that I think has to be deliberately designed, established, and then orchestrated. Where you have、um, a brand that is trying to communicate difference,、mm-hmm. how do you communicate difference if everything looks the same? Well, I I, I know that I, I know this sounds. Controversial, you know, and I think a lot of clients probably won't won't want to hire me anymore. I think that, <laughs> yeah, that is if if you really want difference, just forget about user testing for a while, just forget about algorithm for a while. Yeah, do the work, put it out there, and don't let popular opinion. Dictates the work. 
right? That's really the world that we're in right now. It's a pop the the aggregated popular opinion. How many likes does this does this get? How many clicks this got? Right? That is really that that kind of dictates the work that we produce, and a lot of work. That, I mean, most of the work that we produce is in the cultural realm, like you said, those ads, right? They're ads, but they are part of the bigger culture, right? If the culture is actually produced predominantly by clicks and algorithm. Then we really got a problem. That well, that is a problem because that is a spe- problem. you know specifically well with any field. But you know when you're thinking about luxury and you 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 refer to craftsmanship and craft. I mean, how do you then communicate craft and craftsmanship if everything is looking the same? You can't because there's n- no exactly you can't that's the yeah point. Be- 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 because you know algorithms algorithm one thing that algorithm does really well is to Homogenize, yes, and it's right because algorithm produces an average, right? Once the right the an averages reduce differences, if not completely erase differences, yeah. And that I think is a very, 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 very sort of concerning cultural phenomena that we're we're seeing right now. Yeah, not just in the actual. Visual work, you know, that's being produced, but also in how we produce such things. For example, you know, selling through influencers, right? That that's really a, that's that's a market now. But if you really look into it, you realize that they're all the same. It's all the same. The tactics are the same. You know, the channels through which they um, they project themselves are the same. It's, it's all the same. Where does design thinking fit into all of this? I think that design, <laughs> that's a very interesting shift. Um, yeah. D- d- yeah. The d- d- design thinking ultimately is, is a kind of, I think, in- incredibly reductive functionalism-based way to look at design. And I think that actually works with this sort of algorithm data-based approach extremely well, okay? What design thinking is incapable, incapable to do is to understand craft, culture, and those really complicated things that you cannot try to simplify through numbers, right? So design thinking, right, actually, the, you know, it's, it's very basic premise, I think, really echoes with this algorithm, which is essentially function, right? Practicality-based design orientation really well. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I just think of that and I think of an algorithm. In my mind, it all it all kind of, you're trying to generate information um, for the sake of generating information, but to make sure that the information you generate is standardized. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, standardized, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which just goes against the grain of being creative, of, right? Of, of you know, is not just creative, but you know, innovation. You know, originality. For example, um, a sense of wonder. For example, a sense of surprise. It goes really against all those things that we designers, or at least myself, strive for. Yeah. Mm. I love the sense of wonder. 
you know, the sense of, you know, and I, I mean, luxury, it's a sense, it must be a sense of it wonder. It has to be, yes. And, 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 you know, it's gone now. I think that we're just in the world, we're, we're really living through a kind of, you know, famine of wonder. Yeah. You know, Andre Leon Talley once said that, you know, this was in a documentary um, about Vogue's September issue. And um, I remember uh, he was really funny. He said that, oh, we're living through a famine of beauty. I want to see beauty, right? And that really resonated with me, you know. And now I think that we are still kind of in a famine of beauty. And we're also in a famine of wonder. What we try to do in our day-to-day -day practice is to inject that sense of wonder as much as we can. I think we fight for that, okay? We fight for that in our work, in our design. Um, and when that gets understood by our clients, it's the most satisfying thing. Yeah. Because you're obviously very passionate about um, making change and having impact. I was just wondering what, um, what things inspire you. Interesting. What things inspire me? Um, well, I, you know, I, I used to travel uh, a lot. Travel is enormously uh, inspiring. But since the lockdown, uh, I lost travel uh, big time. Um, but I, I, I go to a local bookstore. Um, which is in my neighborhood. Um, I love books, um, but going to go, go, going to this bookstore is sort of like going into a world of wonder. Yeah, it's contained. It also has a wall of different pens. It's just like these different pens, you know, are placed in little cups, and they're displayed in a long row on a wall, several rows actually, it's a wall of pens. I always spend time with that wall of pens. I, I, I pick up different pens, I try them, you know, on those sheets of paper uh, laying there, right? Um, I, can, I can spend like hours doing that. Yeah, I, I find that inspiring. It's the physicality of the pens, it's the scale, it's, is the ink, you know, that, that comes out from a pen that surprises you. Um, I look for these little things that are within my axis right now. Do you draw a lot? Well, first of all, f first of all, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a kind of different group, uh, which is a diagram group. I diagram a lot. Um, I don't, I, I, I don't sketch. I'm terrible at uh, sketching anything pictorial. I can only draw a stick man, okay? A straw man. Yeah, that's what I can do. Um, I'm not great with computer uh, softwares anymore. I mean, I can use the basic ones, you know, from Adobe, but uh, I'm not good at it anymore right so i'm kind of uh either and i have to say being not good at either or is a very vulnerable thing 
Yeah, and I struggle with that. Yeah, but I have to say, I like my diagrams. I think my diagrams are are they're 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 thoughts, you know, organized and structuralized, and and I like my diagrams. It's a different way of thinking about things, you know.、Um, it's 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 a way to look at the the macro picture, right? When you diagram, right, you kind of you have to zoom out. You have to try to like think through. A system, you know, of many connected things, and try to actually compartmentalize them, and sequence them, you know.、Um, so I do diagramming. I like that. Yeah, that's maybe just my way of thinking. What is your view on the way that、um, the luxury is being communicated to、uh, the consumer through tech? I, I have to say that、uh, brands. Luxury brands, I think, more or less, are doing a pretty good job, or are, are you know are just getting more and more skilled at looking at these smaller rectangles as canvases to kind of communicate right, communicate their work right. And you see that the you know、um, not only aesthetic qualities have been、uh, seriously considered as well as the. The sort of you know、um, the temporal nature of the of the media, but I have to say that there's nothing that can really replace the physical engagement with the real goods, right? In the stores, you know, through oftentimes、um, a sales representative, right? I I I I you can say that I'm old school, but I have to say that. Kind of engagement is something that I still value a lot, but you know we don't get that much anymore. Yeah, and that's is that a luxury? Is that well? It's not only about luxury, but I think is it? Do you think it's more important with luxury, or do you think it's everything? It's every.、Um, it's, ev- everything. It's, ev- it's everything. It's everything. But I feel like it's somehow even more amplified. In、um, in the business of luxury, because right now you know you see that people buy they they buy things online, right? They buy luxury goods, you know,、um, and oftentimes higher priced goods just through a click of a button. You know that that really takes a lot of faith in the brand, right? To actually buy a bag that you actually right, you know, you you haven't actually touched yet. That that takes a lot of faith, and that's a very interesting thing that that I'm seeing right now. And even like myself, have purchased a couple of what I would consider as luxury or luxury more luxurious items through that way, without actually having seen or touched or tried on the objects. If we're trying to look at this through a kind of more you know moralistic point of view, right? I think that we we are we are all victims of digital technology. We all are right at、Absolutely、all le-、right. at all levels. We're all victims ourselves, right? Brands are trying to actually you know catch up with digital technology with social to try to utilize it. We are all addicted to social. So it's this sort of never ending cycle that. That that I think you know mankind confronts right now. So in terms of your work, I mean, what do you think the future holds? Well, you know, there's definitely a you know again what I call homogenizing effect going on 
in our in our industry, I think particularly in branding, you know, um, again, brand strategy, I think is getting more and more homogenized. I think I have problem with that term, you know, and I actually don't know how this term came about. Okay, brand strategy, like who came up with that, right? Um, so, so there's this sort of homogenizing uh, ripple effect that I see happening right now. Um, you see that design design studios or you know agencies are saying more or less the same things, are producing work that are more or less the same. That I think is not gonna go away, but I do think that the future really lies in designers who can understand the large contextual change, but then know how to actually resist certain aspects of it and, you know, what to resist, right? You, you can't just embrace it all. You know, I am always very skeptical of people who just kind of, you know, go with a current and sing, and sing the tune, right, of whatever that's popular right now. Um, I always find those who have their own point of view, who actually figure out how to actually go against certain aspects of the currents are those who can actually make bigger and more meaningful changes yeah, in the world right now. And I hope that, you know, we can, we, we can be that. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, meaningful change is an important tool to yeah. um, be able to yeah. um, possess and, and yeah. of course, implement. Yeah. So we're coming to the end of our chat. Um, and what I wanted to ask you to end with is what is your luxury? My luxury, okay, is uh it's it's really boring. Um <laughs> my luxury is spending time with my family and with my two cute shih tzus. That that's my luxury, and I have a lot of time with them now at home, you know. But they're sleeping. I mean, I'm I'm on Zoom calls all day, and they're just sleeping, you know, in the living room all day. Um, we play in the evenings, we play on the weekends, and to me, that is the biggest luxury in my life right now. But still, you know, I I enjoy. Um, sensing, touching, seeing, feeling um, beautiful design, right? Um, so I try to do that too, yeah, when I can. Natasha Jen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Sean. It's fun chatting with you. Thank you, Natasha. And thank you to our partners, Intellect Books. Thank you for listening. And don't forget... You can catch up on all previous episodes of the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast at inpursuitofluxury.com or on your favorite listening platform. Join us next time on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast.